This is The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. Anyone who's read Ashley Vance's biography of Elon Musk is likely to be a fan. It tells the story of a puny Pretoria boy who was mercilessly bullied in school. The lad who then buries himself in books, dreams big, bets the proverbial farms as he reaches adulthood, and prevails over all to become spectacularly successful. It reads a bit like a script from a movie, does Elon Musk's life. But the movies always end when the hero finally prevails, with good reason. Because the human condition is such that all too often the icons we create turn out to have feet of very wet clay. Once they've reached the top of the hill, they all too often get tripped up by those dual demons of arrogance and complacency. So has Elon Musk fallen into this age-old trap? It sure looks that way when one reflects on his strange behavior of late, and specifically in a conference call to Tesla investors last week. The trouble began about a third of the way in, when Tony Saganagi, an investment analyst with leading investment house Sanford C. Bernstein & Co., received a metaphorical slap in the face from Tesla's founder. And so where specifically will you be in terms of uh, capital requirements? Next. Next. Boring bonehead questions are not cool. Next. So in case you didn't get it, Musk's exact words. Next. Boring bonehead questions are not cool. Next. Given that Musk's dreams have been funded through the investment of billions of dollars by people like the analyst of Bernstein & Co., you have to wonder who exactly the bonehead is. But it gets even better. There's a long pause in this clip as Elon probably switches his own microphone to mute. Thank you. Our next question comes from Joseph Stack with RBC Capital Market. Uh, thank you. Um, the, the first question is... Um, uh, related to um, the Model 3 reservations, and I was just wondering if you give us a, a gauge as maybe some of the impact that, that the news has had. Like, of, of the reservations that actually opened and made available to figure, can you let us know, like, what how what percentage have actually taken um, a step to configure? We're going to go to YouTube. Sorry. These, these questions are so dry. <laughs> They're killing me. Thank you. Our next question is from Galileo Russell with HyperChange. So out go Wall Street and the advisors who channel billions into capital-hungry companies like Tesla. And as the facilitator noted, incomes a very unlikely replacement. Galileo Russell is a vlogger with 14,000 subscribers to his YouTube channel, which he calls HyperChange. A week before the conference call, he was asking this little band of brothers to help him to get a question posed 
What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Today we potentially have our biggest moonshot ever. I am trying to get on the Tesla Q1 2018 conference call that is happening next week and I need your guys' help. The Tesla earnings call is a fascinating discussion that happens once every three months where investors, typically reserved to analysts and bankers, call into the call analyzing Tesla's quarterly financial statements. They're able to ask questions to Elon Musk, J.B. Straubel, Deepak Anuja, I hope I'm saying that right, the CFO, the CEO and the CTO of Tesla directly and get their answers. I always make episodes covering Tesla's conference calls. It's one of my most watched content on YouTube. The youthful fellow with the interesting first name got a lot more than he may have wished for in his wildest dreams. Hey, great quarter. Thanks for having me on the call to represent retail investors. Um, I was wondering with Waymo's plans to launch an autonomous taxi service in limited markets this year, if you could give us an update on the Tesla network and any details surrounding the launch date or geographic rollout. Thanks. Uh, sure. So, I mean, that's thank you. Thank you for an interesting question. Um, the, uh, the the launching goal, the launch, where, where things are obviously evolving towards, is a shared electric autonomy model. Um, Awesome. Great stuff. Um, so I'm also wondering, are you guys going to let Porsche beat you to market with a 350 kilowatt hour supercharger? Because I know you've mentioned, I know, I, I, you know, I, 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 V3. Ask questions are not boring. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I ahead. can keep going. So. Yeah, it's um, cool. Yeah, so the, the, 350 kilowatt, the, the 350 kilowatt. And so it continued for the next 20 minutes as investment analysts and those who control billions of dollars sat on the sidelines twiddling their thumbs. Galileo asking Musk generalities, which had nothing to do with the quarterly numbers, and the head of Tesla complimenting his new friend for his way more interesting questions. And when the facilitator tried to let others share the questioning load, Musk intervened, and then he put his foot right in it. Listen carefully. Thank you. We'll keep going until the questions are still while they're interested. Yeah, I have a I have a couple more. Um, for the superchargers, I know you guys are not trying to profit off of Tesla owners with that infrastructure, but will you ever open that up to other automakers and try and generate revenue from that system? Um, we've always said that we're, this is not intended to be a walled garden, and we're happy to support other, uh, other automakers and let them use our supercharger stations. So far, none of the other car makers have wanted to do this. But, but it's, it's like not because of opposition from us. This is not a walled garden, you know, trying to make a moat bullshit. Uh, I, I'm just wondering why that isn't a moat, because, you know, as a long-term investor, I feel like the charging infrastructure you guys have built would take years and millions of dollars for another brand to replicate. So I'm just curious about the strategic thinking behind opening that up versus keeping it closed. First of all, I think moats are lame. Uh, I mean, they're like nice and sort of uh, quaint uh, vestigial way. Whoops, Elon. Moats are lame? Quaint? Seriously? Millions of investors have got it wrong, including those oracles of Omaha? Because for more than half a century, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have been explaining how moats are one of the most important requirements for any investment proposition. And now? They had a rapid opportunity to respond because at Saturday's annual general meeting of Berkshire Hathaway with a packed hall of more than 20,000 shareholders, the New York Times' Andrew Ross Sorkin got to pose 
one of the questions. It was sent in by a seemingly confused member of the one million strong Berkshire shareholder base. This question comes from uh, Keeley and actually is directly about the issue of moats. Uh, He notes that uh, Elon Musk this week on his Tesla earnings call said the following, quote, I think moats are lame. They are like nice in a sort of quaint vestigial way. And if your only defense against invading armies is a moat, you will not last long. What matters is the pace of innovation. That is the fundamental determinant of competitiveness, unquote. So, Warren, it seems the world has changed. Business is getting more competitive, pace of innovation, technology is impacting everything. Is Elon right? Let me answer that one, Warren. Elon says a conventional moat is quaint, and that's true of a puddle of water. And he says that the best moat would be to have a big competitive position, and that is also right. It's It's ridiculous. Warren does not intend to build an actual moat. (laughs) Even though they're quaint. Yeah. There's certainly a great great number of businesses. This has always been true, but it does seem like it... uh, the pace has accelerated and so on in recent years. There's been uh, more moats that have been become susceptible to invasion uh, than, than seemed to be the case earlier. But, but there's always been the attempt to do it. And there, here and there, there are probably uh, uh, places where the moat is as strong as ever, but certainly uh, you can work at, certainly should be working at improving your own moat and defending your own moat all of the time. And, and uh, uh, Elon may turn things upside down in, in some areas. Uh, I don't think he'd want to take us on in candy. But, uh, <laughs> and we've got some other businesses that wouldn't be so easy. To, but, uh, uh, you, can, uh, you can look at something like... Uh, Granables out there in the other room, and and uh, that it won't be technology that takes takes away the business and and, and granables. It, it Maybe something else that catches the young kid's fantasy or something. But uh, there are, there are some pretty good moats around. Being the low cost producer, for example, is a terribly important moat. And something like Geico. Uh, uh, technology has really not brought down the cost that much, and that uh, I think I think our position as there are a couple of companies that have costs as low as ours, but among big com- big companies, we are a low-cost producer, and that is not bad when you're selling an essential item. Arrogance and complacency. Yeah, no matter how high you rise, those two are sure to bring you back to earth. After the conference call, Tesla's share price fell 8%. Musk apologized, well, sort of, saying he shouldn't have cut off the analysts the way he did, but he then justified himself with tweets that the two of them were really just trying to justify why they'd shorted the stock. 
But according to Reuters, the two analysts in question actually have a hold recommendation on Tesla. Yeah, Elon, as we say in the old country, sometimes when you're in a hole, it's best to stop digging. Even if you are super smart, or at least believe you are. This has been The Rational Perspective. Until the next time, cheerio!